right, well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here on this Lord's Day. Certainly glad to be able to gather together this morning. But let's go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and turn to our text for this morning, and then we'll pray in just a moment. We're in the book of Obadiah during our Sunday Bible study. So Obadiah, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 4. Obadiah, verses 1 through 4. And uh, when you turn there... Uh, We will read the first four verses, and then we'll pray together as we begin. Obadiah, verses 1 through 4. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious Lord's Day, that we are privileged to be able to gather together, to be able to sing praises and to hear the Word of God preached and taught, be able to read the Scriptures together, and be able to pray together. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing, and apart from your sovereign grace, we would be people miserable and hopeless. But Father, this morning, we thank you that you have allowed us this opportunity to study your word together. We are thankful, Father, that all of the word of God is inspired and that we can trust it. We know that it is the truth. And Lord, I pray that as our hearts are challenged this morning by your word, uh, that Lord, we would see the the true uh, meaning of the text. We would understand uh, what you're saying to us through your prophet. And Lord, I just thank you that you have given us this ability to discern the truth. We know that it does not come from our intellect, it doesn't come from our education, but rather it comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit who teaches us and guides us and instructs us. Father, may we grow this morning spiritually. May we desire to know more about you and to be drawn closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that today would be all for your glory and for your honor. Uh, that, Lord, that we would only desire to worship that is acceptable to, the, acceptable to Thee. And, that, Father, that if there is anyone here today who has never repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray that according to Your will, that today would be that glorious day of their conversion. What I pray now, You'll help us as we study together. We pray for those that are away from You, Lord. We pray that You would call them back unto Yourself through the convicting power of the Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would call many who are still outside of Christ, that you would call them into your glorious presence. And Lord, may we have the opportunity to rejoice in all cases. And Father, we do pray for those that will be away from us in our congregation today. Lord, we pray that you give them safety wherever they may be. And Lord, we just ask now that um, all things will be done for you. Uh, Lord, that we are not seeking self-glory or even our own self-satisfaction. We only want the glory of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake, I pray. Amen. All right. The title this morning is The Pride of Thine Heart. The Pride of Thine Heart. Uh, Last Sunday, we began an expositional study of this book, the book of Obadiah. Today, we're going to begin that process now of examining this brief Old Testament book in a verse-by-verse manner. Uh, As we read those first four verses together, the subject there that we're taking for the title this morning is there in verse number three, where it indicates the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Remember, the main character or the main focus, the main emphasis of this book, of course, is the prophet Obadiah. We studied in depth last week the background of this book, the circumstances, the structure, uh, where Christ is found in this particular uh, scripture. We did a lot to indicate where this book comes from and what it's about. Recall, Remember, we don't have a lot of information about Obadiah as far as his family history, his genealogy. But we do know that he is one of God's prophets. 
We studied that phrase, the vision of Obadiah, last week, so we spent some time talking about what a vision is. But we also know that the main recipient of the, uh, the prophecies that are being delivered by Obadiah is Edom. And Edom is, has been identified as a nation that was willingly attempting to destroy the people of God. And with that willful attempt, uh, God has responded now by the words of Obadiah. Uh, we oftentimes, when you read through passages like this and you read through uh, entire books, there's kind of an overriding theme that often comes to us. And one of the things I thought about when I read through the book of Obadiah was the phrase poetic justice. And that's more of a word that we use in our, uh, in our secular world. But really what's going to happen to Edom is really a form of poetic justice. What poetic justice is, is that that individual, or in this case, that nation, receives an outcome in which their wickedness is punished and rewarded in a manner that is peculiar and ironically appropriate. In other words, the judgment seems to match the crime. The idea, what goes around, comes around. Now, again, I don't want to lessen the authority of scriptures in any way, shape, or form, and I don't want that to be our main focus of poetic justice, but I think it helps us to understand that the vision of Obadiah is, surround, is surrounded by the idea of the pride of Edom. So this first lesson in this series uh, really shows us what the main problem is, and it's pride. You don't have to turn there this morning, but I want to share something with you. In Proverbs 18:12. It says, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Now, let me just share and read this to you, what Spurgeon said about this verse. And I, this was just so powerful, I wanted to read it. I'm going to read it in a word-by-word -word fashion so you'll get the flavor of what he's saying. He says, almost every event has its prophetic prelude. It is an old and common saying that coming events cast their shadows before them. The wise man teaches us the same lesson in the verse before us. When destruction walks through a land, it casts its shadow. It's in the shape of pride. When honor visits a man's house, it casts its shadow before it. It is in the fashion of humility. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Pride is as surely the sign of destruction as the change of mercury in the weather glass is the sign of rain and far more infallibly so than that. Before honor is humility. Even as before the summer, sweet birds return to sing in our land. Everything has a prelude. The prelude of destruction is pride and, and of honor and humility. There is nothing into which the heart of man so easily falls as pride. And yet there is no vice which is more frequently, more emphatically, and more elegantly condemned in Scripture. Against pride, prophets have lifted up their voices, evangelists have spoken, and teachers have discoursed. Yea, more, the everlasting God has mounted to the very heights of eloquence when he would condemn the pride of man. And the full gushing of the eternal's mighty language has been most gloriously displayed in the condemnation of the pride of human nature. So Spurgeon gives us this picture of in an eloquent way of what pride really is. And thinking about that verse, Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. What's going to happen to Edom is something that a shadow had been cast long before it ever happens. This is not a situation where God suddenly arises onto the scene and suddenly pours out judgment that is seemingly unmerited. You see, Edom was known for its pride. Edom was known for its arrogance. And as we look at this, we are looking at a letter that tells us, and a prophecy that describes to us the future destruction of Edom, primarily based upon the pride of their own heart. Now, we looked last week about how this message came from the Lord, and we won't spend a lot of time with this this morning. But notice that Obadiah had said... He gave us the vision, and he says, Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have our context for the book of Obadiah. This is primarily dealing with this people, the Edomites. 
Remember, visions are something that prophets had in those days that would be truth that would come across them, that they would be proclaiming what God's word had said. We don't have a purpose or a reason for visions today because we have the completed copy of God's word. But whatever he says about this vision, he clearly indicates that the word, the vision he's given has come from the Lord. And he immediately jumps into what this vision was about and what this prophecy was about. Let's make this very clear. Everything Obadiah saw was real. Everything Obadiah observed was to come forth. This was not, a vision was not a series of guesses and some of them came true. Now there over the years, and he's, it's not as much a fascination as it once was, but I can remember, it's probably been 20 years ago or now, there became this great fascination with a man by the name of Nostradamus, and it, it really took hold on people. And a lot of people started drawing a lot of connections. As a matter of fact, he had, he had I won't, I'll spare you a lot of the details, but he had gone into uh, writing what people believed was prophecy. And they started pulling things that he had said. And I remember this really came up right around 9-11. And that he had somehow, years and years before, had predicted it. They pulled out an obscure vision or writing that he had made. And they drew all these connections between, look, Nostradamus predicted that 9-11 would happen. But if you go and you read the number of prophecies that he made, many of them never came to fruition. And I would submit to you that if you truly took it and was honest with yourself and you read what he predicted, there really is very little, if any, connection between 9-11 and what the particular prophecy they said that he wrote about. But I can assure you that whatever Obadiah is getting ready to say actually comes true. Every prophecy that he speaks of actually happens. So this vision is not a vision of a bunch of guesses, and I'm just going to kind of throw in whatever sticks to the wall, that's what we'll go with which is what a lot of prophecy today is. We're just taking something, we throw it, we see what sticks and say, look, I was right. I would much rather have the word of God telling me that I know for sure that everything Obadiah saw, everything he says actually comes true. All the revelations in which God's prophets prophesied about, they are the things which God had shown to them. God made the prophets part of his plan. God made the prophets part of his purposes. The prophets were a vision of how God works. Now, this is kind of a deep thought, but when you saw the prophets, you were seeing a picture of how God works. I would say it's, it's, it's not a perfect picture, but it does show us. These visions were nothing that the prophets took pride in. In other words, they would not sit around a dinner table one day and the prophets that were together at the same time and talk about, hey, your prophecy was pretty good today. Oh, mine was even better. No, these were visions that were from God. Now today, we do see that. We see people who claim to be prophets and it seems to be a competition of who's right, who's wrong. Kind of like the man who predicted the end of the world in 1988 and he was wrong and then he changed it to 1995 and then he, he missed it, then he changed it to 2000 and he kept saying, oh, well, there was circumstances I didn't account for. That's because you're a phony. You don't know what you're doing. So these prophets were sent by God. Prophets never made guesses. They were not just, well, this might be. The Lord himself declares in Isaiah 46, and this is a powerful truth, in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 12, God himself declared that he was in fact, his word is spoken and his will is purposed. Here's what he says in Isaiah 46, verse 9. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now listen to this. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. Hearken unto me, ye stout-hearted, that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, 
and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. So what Obadiah is speaking of is he is speaking the words of a God who says, I will do all my pleasure. So Obadiah's word from the Lord is about Edom. He's not giving an opinion, but he's given what God actually said. God here identifies the Lord. It identifies Yahweh. It identifies Jehovah. He is speaking of the God who is, in fact, in control of all things, and let's not forget this, has also made a covenant with his people. When he speaks, we are well off to listen attentively. When we read Scripture, that is the Word of God. We should listen attentively. It's because God has spoken that we are to listen. It's a word from the Lord that is being given to Edom. Now, that happens in Obadiah 1.1, but in Obadiah verse 2, he immediately goes into this prophetic judgment. Notice what he said in verse 1. He said, we have heard a rumor from the Lord. Obadiah is speaking of all the prophets The prophets and others who've been speaking before me have been giving a message. In other words, Obadiah was not the first prophet to give a message from the Lord. And as a result, this was not the first message that Edom ever heard. This is not the first time Edom is aware that there is a God. But rather, he's adhering to the prophets who have all come before. Notice they identify them as an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Now, we understand the word ambassador in our modern day. An ambassador is one who is a representative of a country who goes to another country on behalf to represent the interest of the country in which they're being sent by. Sometimes in those visits, that ambassador will announce to that other nation of an impending attack. It does happen. The ambassadors will actually tell the other nation, listen, there is an imminent attack that is going to take place, we are highly suggesting that you evacuate certain areas because these are where these targets are going. This does happen still today. This ambassador was being sent, these prophets were being sent to announce to Edom there is a coming judgment and that there is going to be an alliance of nations that are going to rise up against Edom. You see, God is going to use other nations to pour out this judgment. He's going to use groups like the Assyrians. He's going to use the Babylonians. And he's also going to use his own, God, his own people, Israel. God can even use another wicked nation to carry out his judgment on another wicked nation. Something to really think about. So Obadiah is not reporting this as a rumor that's come from the media. He's reporting that this report is actually from God himself. And we should sit up and take notice. Now, there is an application here I want to make. This is really how we ought to assess our own lives. We ought to assess how we view events on the world stage. This, this has become, pardon the pun, epidemic. It's, it's frightening how much we believe something that's just a rumor more than we actually believe the Word of God. Instead of finding comfort in the Word of God, we try to find comfort in a news outlet or a media outlet. We want somebody to bring us some sort of comfort when in fact what we should be doing is looking to the Bible and watching these things unfold before us and not be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised if things we see happening on the world stage even over the last week and a half or so in the Middle East regarding Israel. You you should not be shocked at what's happening here. Matter of fact, you should know what's at the heart of that. You should know exactly what's going on. Why do you know that? Because the media told you no, because the word of God said this was going to happen. And it's, it's, it, is, it is frightening how much we have in our hands, and yet we tend to not view the world through God's hands or God's eyes, but rather we view the, we view the, the things happening through what the world says is happening. You realize everything God is doing is just fulfilling his purpose and his plans. Now, I know some of those things are hard for us to, it's hard for us to see. But notice he, he tells Edom that the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Why would we think that we're exempt from that? Our hearts can be so filled with pride that we think we know better than God. 
We actually think, oh, I know what's happening. Yeah, God's word says that, but I know what's really going on. That's the pride of your heart. We can become so Bible smart that we think, yeah, I know what God's word says, but I have my own opinions on this. Well, with all due respect, I really don't want your opinion and you don't want my opinion. You want what God's word says. Our opinions are not what's true. What's true is what God says. We are very wise to put God's word next to everything that's happened in our life and around us. That way you won't be deceived when events happen. You're not going to be convinced by someone else who wants to spin this a certain way of what's actually true. So we notice that what God has done and is doing is he is sending out these ambassadors. These ambassadors, these prophets, were meant to carry out his plan. Now, for believers, words like this in the book of Obadiah ought to serve as comfort for us. God is making known his will and making known to us that he is concerned and he is working all things together for good, for his glory. Now again, we either believe God is sovereign or we don't. We either believe God is sovereign over every affair of our life or we believe he's sovereign over most of it or we believe he's sovereign over the parts that we want him to be or we simply declare what God's word says that he's sovereign over all of it. That means there are things about God, his plans, his purposes, I may not fully comprehend, but that doesn't make them less true. So what is he, talk, what is he talking about here is going to happen to Edom? Well, we first of all see he identifies in verse number two, he identifies Edom's character. Now, verses two through nine really deal with a very powerful word that's going to happen to Edom. It's their humiliation. Verses two through nine show us that through this pride, God is going to humiliate them. He identifies them and their smallness. Look at verse two. Behold... I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Who made them small? God made them small. God is identifying something that's going to happen in the future, but he's speaking it through Obadiah as something that's already taken place. If God says, I will, bring, I will make you small, you already are. If God says, I will bring you down, you're already, you've already been brought down. Now, you may not see it on the world stage. You may not see it yet, but I'm going to assure you that every wicked nation that sets itself against God is already a brought down nation. It's already as good as done. There's one thing you and I have to keep in mind about God. He does not operate on time like you and I do. He never has. We think about God through the lens of time, through a 24-hour period, and we think, this is just not adding up. Time is something that God uses in his own way. So we first of all see God addressed his own people in, verse, in the very first verse with a word about Edom in order to give them courage. He's trying to let his people know, listen, I am fully aware of what Edom is doing. But after he gives them one single word of encouragement, I love this. He gives them one word. The rest of the book of Obadiah is about the judgment of Edom. Can I tell you that there's more, there's more power in one word of God of good towards you than in a million words. If he says, I promise good to you, it's a promise. It's not just, hey... When you're in trouble, when things look really down, I might be there to comfort you. No, this single word of encouragement for his people, he turns in verse 2 and immediately Obadiah gives the word of God against Edom. Notice he does not offer them the opportunity to ask for forgiveness nor the ability to seek a pardon. He doesn't say, if you repent and turn to me, then I won't make you small. He says, no, the, the time for pardon is already gone. He's not allowing them repentance. I've already made you small. He's establishing the judgment on these people. And in the verses to follow, through Obadiah, God establishes the foundation of His determination. Why things are going to be the way they are. 
Edom will not be able to defend itself. Edom is going to have to not only hear the judgment that's coming, but also suffer that judgment. There is no appeal. You know, in a court of law in our nation, and in, in many ways, this is good. This is not a, a, I'm not making a judgment call or an opinion against a court of law. But in a court of law, you may be found guilty in this country, but you may have an avenue of appeal. And it's possible, and it happens often, you might win that appeal. You might actually, something, a technicality may overturn the whole thing, and you may walk out free. Edom has no such privilege coming. There's no opportunity for repentance. In a court of law, a procedural error, a procedural error can let a guilty person walk. Okay, it can happen. And it has happened hundreds of times. Somebody makes a mistake. The defense makes a mistake. The prosecution makes a mistake. The judge makes a mistake. Procedural error sometimes allows a guilty person to walk. There will be no procedural error because God is the one who is the ultimate judge. God says these words to Obadiah as if something's already happened. Folks, we have to get in our mind's eye that it does not matter to God whether something lies in the, in the past, present, or future. You realize everything is in the present with God. In the truest sense of time, God's present includes the past and includes the future. Time is just, a, it's just an element that's available to God. Time is just something that you and I are bound by. God is not bound by time. Our whole lives are bound by time. What you do, where you go, how long you have to stay somewhere is determined because you have somewhere else to be. And you've got to be there at a certain time. So we look to God and we say, God, you should operate on our timetable. I want you to make things right two weeks from today, right? I want you to operate on my time. No, God just has time as an element that's available to him. He's not bound by it. Everything God intends to do and what he says will happen. So the fate of Edom here is that they have to endure what God has put before them. Notice what he says, thou art greatly despised. And this did come true. Edom became a greatly despised nation. They became a greatly despised people. Bible study will show us that. So the Lord is going to carry out his judgment through these nations that he summons unto himself. The Assyrians are going to be used as executors of God's judgment and they don't even know it. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine being used by God and not even know it? See, we're, we're, we're in such a society that we're so prideful about our own talents that we think, well, I know God's going to use me. How's he going to use you? What's he doing to use you? You know, he doesn't always work in the fantastic and the fabulous and the giant flashes of light. People, people come, often talk about, well, God really worked today. How, what, did, what led you to determine that he really worked today? Oh, because I'm telling you, people were just, people were almost swinging from the rafters at church today. Is that the identifier? Now, it might be. We might, have a, we might have a period, even in churches like ours, where suddenly we don't know what to, we, don't, we can't contain ourselves. We're so excited. But that's not the indicator of God carrying out his purposes. God carries out his purpose in raising up a wicked nation that doesn't even know it's being used for that purpose to carry out judgment on another wicked nation. Yet that same wicked nation that's carrying out the judgment is also going to suffer the judgment of God. That's a pretty amazing truth about God. And yet, we're just spectators to it. We don't determine what happens. So he's going to call the Assyrians unto himself. Then he's going to call the Babylonians unto himself. After Edom is judged by those nations, there's also a judgment that God himself is going to carry out. Think about this for a moment. There's the judgment that the nations carry out, but then there's the day of vengeance. Isaiah 63 verses 1 through 6 tells us about God's specific judgment. In verse 63, it says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? 
I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is mine heart, is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Now those are verses that the people who only proclaim that God would never pour out judgment on a people are left stammering on their words because they don't have an answer to that. God is announcing this. God announces his own judgment, not only by his own hand, but also the judgment that's coming through his own hands and these individual countries. Israel, who had found itself also in the path of God's judgment, is also going to be used as an instrument in God's hand to carry out the judgment on Edom. I'm not going to say a lot about this today, but it is, it is, things are front and center. I don't pull a lot of current events, but things are front and center. Now, don't try to make up and read into what you think is happening. However, what you see happening with Israel and Gaza, it's not just some random event that's taking place. These, these, these things, when we see them, it just we look at it and we say, you know what, I've read about this. I've heard about this. I, I've, I have, I've been told that these days were coming. Now again, also don't run to the finish line and think you know exactly what's going to happen next. We're told to continually be looking for our Lord's return, not to set a date. I'm just looking. <laughs> I'm just looking. And I'm looking for His return, but I also know that every event in life and in this world is happening by the sovereign hand of God. What exactly is happening right now? I know it's a continuation of years and years of hostility. But I also know that there might just be something more happening underneath all that surface than just two people, groups of people who can't get along. How many world leaders have tried to negotiate peace there? Right? How many are going to continue to try? It's not just about, hey, can't you two nations get along? It's Bible prophecy playing out right before your eyes. But here, God is using these nations, He's using these people as part of His judgment. So we see that there is this, the current state, their humiliation, this future smallness. But He also addresses their current pride in verses 3 and 4, and specifically focused on their arrogance. Look what He says in verse 3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? This is not just illustrative words. What Edom was, was radiating by their words and by their actions was simply, we're strong, you're not. We're wise, you're not. Obadiah verse 8 says that they were known for being wise people. Look at verse 8. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise man out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? Edom was prideful about their own wisdom. God says, I'm going to use that wisdom to bring them down. You can still see it today. If you've heard of the place called Petra, Petra is a town that is located entirely carved into a rock. It is an amazing thing to see if you've never seen this. He is specifically speaking about the reality of your city, your town is carved in a rock, and you are so prideful to think that that secures you from me. I would tell you, it's an amazing thing to see. Pictures of it, it, it's, it just makes you sit back and say, what a, what a marvelous work that they could actually do this. But he says that very thing is marking your current pride and your current arrogance. What Edom believed is that they were totally, they were not vulnerable to anyone or vulnerable specifically to God. 
It's basically that concept. They're sitting up in their high tower and saying, you can't bring me down. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock. God's identifying and saying, I know exactly where you are. You're in the cleft of the rock. Petra, I know where you are. A whole town. Arrogance, folks, is always misleading. A person or a nation or a people who are arrogant is counting on being able to handle anything and that nobody is in control of them. So much I could say. Nobody's going to control me. Nobody's going to have me and tell me. Edom thinks he's safe because his arrogance is where he's finding his hope. He believes my rock fortress of a city will protect me. No nation can get to me. We're in a fortified rock city. Nobody can get to us. You can see him up on the high place looking down on the enemies and saying, I'd love to see you bring me down. And that's exactly what God identifies. Whose habitation is high that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Edom looks out over all the enemies and says, which one of you nations thinks you can bring down a fortified rock city? But Edom doesn't count on is the one who's looking at them isn't looking up, he's looking down. See, God's not looking up to anyone. God's not looking up to any nation and saying, oh, you are the, you are the nation I look up to. Even Israel, as God's chosen people, don't make the mistake of thinking that God is looking up to Israel. He's looking down on every nation, every people group. He's the ultimate judge. He's God. We're not. But Edom, in his self-sufficiency, in his arrogance, and his pride, is demonstrating, and God is identifying that there is a total lack of knowledge of God with Edom. Edom thinks he's indestructible. He lives in an almost inaccessible rock house. Who shall bring me down to the earth? Testifies of self-confidence and arrogance. And notice... God says the habitation that saith in his heart. God knew what their heart was thinking, not what they were saying out loud. Just because someone doesn't say it doesn't mean that it's not the desire of their heart. Folks, that's, <laughs> that answers a lot of questions in our life. We say, well, they didn't say it. No, but that's the desire of their heart. God knew what their desire was. God knew what about their haughty thinking. God knew about their pride. God knew about their arrogance. And yet, God is the one who is ultimately the one who knows all things. Of course, James tells us God resists the pride, the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble paraphrase. That's what he's doing. He's resisting the arrogant, resisting the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those who think themselves highly of themselves also believe that others think highly of them. You know what the, you know what the saddest thing about an arrogant person is? Is they think other people think that highly of them. And I will tell you, most arrogance and most arrogant people, I don't look at that and think highly of them. But that's what they think. So Edom's sitting there in their rock fortress and they think everybody else wants to be Edom the pinnacle of pride that's why arrogance is misleading it misleads us because we think other people think that highly of us what edom is guilty of is measuring itself against others not measuring itself in in comparison with god how you and i compare doesn't matter one bit our standing before god is what matters we spend a lot of times in our christian circles comparing one another and you're wasting your time Saying, who does more? Who does this? That's just pride. That's just arrogance. Thinking, I'm, now I'm a great servant for God. Those people on that other side of the church, they're not as good as I. I mean, they don't, they don't see what I'm doing. They don't see how many Bible studies I lead and how many times I pray. And how many, sounds like a Pharisee to me. God and my standing before God is what ultimately matters. 
Edom boasts of his power, boasts of prestige, and forgets that he literally is squandering away everything. Remember, we looked last week how there is a direct connection between Edom and Esau. Esau sold his birthright for present self-satisfaction. What the world says today is don't wait for the next thing. Get what you can get now and enjoy it. And yet, Scripture expresses the attitude later on. And we talked about, even if, even if we looked back in, in Genesis 25, 34, it talks about Esau despising his birthright. He sold it. You can see, this, you can see these things right in front of you. Instant satisfaction of all of our heart's desires. I don't know if there's ever been a more instant society than what we are now. I mean, I think if you'd have told people 20 years ago, it would even be like it is 20 years later. I think they would have said, no way is it going to be that instant. Folks, we don't wait for anything. And I mean, it, it, and I'm talking 30 seconds. I don't mean to be humorous about this, but I heard there was a near ride at Cedar Point yesterday because people were mad they had to wait in line for rides. <laughs> I mean, seriously. They're, they're, the story, I, I'm reading it and I'm saying, really? And I said, I know people have been pent up. I mean, but they were mad that there was a wait and they were mad there wasn't enough staff. I mean, it's talk about everything is about me. I'm going to near riot because I couldn't get on a ride. Now at the amusement parks, you can buy different levels of fast passes so you don't have to wait at all. I, I want the one that I just walk in the door and it, the, the, the sea of people parts as I walk to my seat. That's the one I want. And then you can have that for $500 a person. And we're buying it hook, line, and sinker, right? I got way off on a rabbit trail. That, <laughs> that, that's, that's exactly how it is. I mean, it's like whatever the fastest lane is. You go through the drive. If you know what you want, you go this side. If you have to think about it for more than 30 seconds, you go in the line with all the other people that don't know what they want. It's instant. And yet, part of understanding how God is working is we're not going to see the instantaneous blessings of all that God has. They're not all coming today. And there are a lot of frightening things on the world stage. There are a lot of things that if we're, as parents and grandparents, we sit and we look, what is it going to be in 20 years? But we take comfort in knowing that whatever's happening on the world stage, God has already promised a certain outcome. He's already promised it. Now, I, I don't see all of it. I don't fully understand it. And I certainly don't know the exact time of it. But Esau and Edom here is this connection we see are clear examples of people who don't care about God's blessing. They don't care about the covenant. They only care about the, future, the present satisfaction. Give me what I need now. All Edom wanted to be was a great nation. They just wanted to be the most powerful nation on earth. They sound a lot like the Roman Empire. They weren't concerned about God. They were concerned about being known as the most powerful nation on earth. Folks, when you see this happen all throughout history, when a nation rises up, that nation typically falls because that nation becomes all about becoming the pinnacle of this is what you want to be. Instead of saying our number one priority is we want to be a nation that honors God. We want to be a nation that honors and proclaims the Lord Jesus Christ and is, is standing for what's right. Edom was okay being what they were as long as it added to their status. Think about it today. We are seeing that even in the midst of not just unbelievers, but there are Christians today who are promising you, hey, if you come to church today, you're, I, I promise you, you're going to get a blessing from God. No, sometimes you're going to come to the house of God and you're going to leave under such conviction, you're not going to make it to your car and you're going to fall flat on your face before God. It may not sell well, but God's certainly at work. You know, we, have, we are trading in, we're trading in the flash in the pan experience for understanding the purposes and plans of God don't work that way. Your life as a Christian is not about this instant conversion and then this instant sanctification. 
As we say in our confession, this is, this is all a part of the process. We're becoming more conformed. We can be guilty in our churches of trying to find some kind of prestige. We want to be known as the best church around. We want to be known as, you know, this is, this is where you really want to come if you really want a blessing from God. It's the same places, sadly, where you're going to hear what you want to hear, not what God actually said. And then finally, and we'll finish with this, verse 4, he demonstrates that there is no escape from God. There is no escape. In verse 3, we hear Edom boast, who will bring me down? And notice what the response is. Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. A couple observations. It's interesting to me that he uses the picture of an eagle because God often uses that picture of an eagle as on eagle's wings. It's quite a fascinating picture before us. You exalt yourself, set yourself high as the eagle can fly. He says, even if you set your nest among the stars, I don't care how high you set that nest as an eagle, I'll bring it down. No matter how high you put it, no matter how fortified your city is, there is no escape. In Edom, we see this short-sightedness of people who think and take no thought of God. Today, there are people that if you warn them about the judgment to come, they laugh in your face. There are people today, you'll interview them on television and, and groups have done this and they'll say things like, I'm not afraid of God's judgment and I'm certainly not afraid of a false place called hell because it doesn't exist. And they'll say it with almost a smirk on their face. They'll almost say it that, listen, I'll take my chances because I perceive that I'm right and the God of the universe is wrong. I would not take your chances with your own pride. There is nothing in this life you know more than God about. Nothing. Well, this is my profession. <laughs> you don't know more than God about it. Well, I have years of experience. You don't know more than God about it. I've watched people actually try to convince me that they know more than God. You take the Bible and you push it across the desk and you say, what does that say? And they say, oh, I know, but I think, I think God would understand. And you have to look them across the, walk across the desk or wherever you're sitting and say, no, God's word says no to this. There is not going to be an understanding with God. Oh, I think God's going to take into consideration my circumstances when I did that. No, it's saying if you do not repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be eternally separated from him for all of eternity. That's why we make that command to repent and believe every single time we are together, because that's what we've been told to do. And there may be many who have sat in these pews, sat in these chairs, and have heard it, and have walked away and in the pride of their own heart have said, listen, I'll take my chances with me. I'm banking on me. I wouldn't bank on myself about anything. Because only God truly knows my heart. Only God truly knows my intentions. Only God truly knows my desires. It's impossible to escape the judgment of God. Edom may feel safe from the people. Okay, I think there's a point here. You can feel safe from other people and not be safe from God. This nation can become, and in many ways, we're getting a little bit, people's, people's cages are getting a little bit rattled because there's now, for the first time in a long, long time, people are kind of starting to say, you know, maybe, maybe the United States isn't the most powerful. There, there's other nations who are working on some things that are kind of frightening. They, they actually might be ahead of us. I can remember years, even in my lifetime, I can remember years saying, there's not a nation on this earth at this point that could do anything to the United States of America. And yet, it's not about becoming the most powerful nation that's going to protect. That's what Edom thought. The higher Edom rises, the harder and the deeper their fall was going to be. And there's absolutely nowhere in the creation can it be found where somebody or some nation or some person is out of the reach of God. So when you and I watch the world stage unfold and we say, how are they getting away with it? 
It doesn't matter how high they are. God knows exactly what's happening. Nowhere is there a place where God can't enter. It's an amazing thing. People who say, I don't believe in God, do everything they can to shut him out. If you don't believe in God, then why are you concerned about the people who do? God gives you free will. Yes, I said that. Free will to to hate God. You have the ability, but why are you so bothered by the people who do? I've always wondered that. Why are the atheists so concerned about us? Why are they so concerned about stopping the message? If God doesn't exist, why do you exhaust the energy? I would spend my time on other more important things than trying to convince you to not believe in something I don't believe in. That makes sense? (laughs) Yet Edom has promised that this is exactly what's going to happen to them. Man's wisdom and man's pride will lead to a fall. Ultimately, though, if that man, that nation, will acknowledge their own sin, acknowledge that it is found in God alone and through Christ alone, salvation is available. But God, in this first, this first section, warns Edom about the pride of their heart. And I hope that we will, I think, I hope we will yield to whatever that pride may be in our heart because it still does happen. Pride is not something that went away when you got converted. Beware of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride thinking I have certainly arrived in what I know about God. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time this morning. And Lord, these are strong and they're powerful words reminding us who you are. And Lord, we stand here today, and I trust that we who are in Christ are even more thankful that our eyes have been opened to the truth because we know that we would have never chosen Christ for ourselves if left to ourselves. But Father, may we examine our own hearts and may the Holy Spirit of God examine us to see if there be any wicked way in us, any element, a single speck of the pride that can infiltrate the heart. Lord, may we never be found guilty of elevating ourselves above you. And Lord, we do pray that, Father, you would help us to Give the gospel passionately and compassionately to people who do not know you. Lord, help our speech not to be filled with hate and not to despise people, but to love people, to have a burden for people that we want them to know the truth. We know salvation is of the Lord, but help us to be a light to our families, to our co-workers, to our community. Lord, thank you for allowing us the privilege to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in this place. And Father, may we be found faithful doing so. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake, I pray. Amen.